0: We're about to go to Hawaii for a week on our honeymoon and we had just gotten married and we were just, it was happy. We just had a great night. We, money in our pockets. We were going to the most beautiful place on earth and as we walk in the door, I said, oh no. I mean, this is LAX. There's nobody in LAX and I go to, I say to my wife, she's here and she says, who's here? I said, my ex-girlfriend is here. And she was. She was with her family flying, guess where? Hawaii. So we walk up, and we're the same airline. We're walking up to the ticket counter, and I'm just saying it's just a matter of time before she, it's just a matter of seconds before she walks over here. And guess what? She turns around, her brother's with her, and they they turn around, they see us, and they, they go, oh, hi, and they do the little awkward wave, you know the awkward wave where it's like you don't really want to run into somebody, but you do. Is this thing going in and out? It is, huh? Here we go, one of these things. We did the awkward wave, um, and, I, and I just said to, to Des, I said, she's going to come over here. And, and we were kind of hoping that at that point it would just be an awkward wave. Then she came over, and, and I said, hey, And this was an ex-girlfriend of two years. It wasn't just some like, oh, we dated for a couple weeks. It didn't work out. This was two years. We had talked about marriage. We had talked about love. We had talked about all these things. And here I am standing there with my wife and the ex-girlfriend <laughs> sweating. I don't know why I shouldn't have been. I, Des was totally fine, and, but I was the nervous wreck, and she walks over, and, and we, we hugged for a second, and said, hi, and she said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, we're going on our honeymoon, and she goes, oh, and then she walked away. And that's the, literally the whole story, and then we... Not the whole story, but we, then we go to the, the, che- the, the counter where they check your pockets, the security deal. We go to the security thing, and, and they're way ahead of us. And I, and I said to Des, I'm so glad that they are so far ahead of us. As we rounded a corner in the deal, they opened it and said, we want, you know, we're going to start a new line. You guys go ahead first. So we walk out of the security checkpoint next to her family. And then, not only that, they were redoing the airport at the time, and we had to walk all the way to the end of the terminal. They were two feet ahead of us, and we're walking there the whole time. So slowly, the love of a brand new marriage and the excitement of a honeymoon brought in insecurity from the past, brought in hurt from what had happened, brought in all these emotions that I had been grappling with that I thought were gone and now I'm walking with my brand new wife, and now we're in Hawaii. Luckily, they flew to a different island that we did, by the grace of God. But I knew that from talking to her for a second, I knew that they were at one point flying to the same island that we were going to be on. And so at one point in, in the trip, Des and I are driving around in our rental car, and we get to um, Lahaina, the bigger city in Maui. And I'm, as we're walking, I'm just kind of like scanning the crowd just looking around and she goes you're looking for her aren't you i just i'm like i just don't want to run into her again you know and and so our honeymoon turned into this insecure i mean we had a great time but i was so insecure with my with i didn't want my new wife to run into my old girlfriend again how weird is that on our honeymoon it's so, just so amazing to me how the bliss of a brand-new marriage can turn into security, insecurity and just like that. But then over the years, sometimes marriages get into um, these cycles where it's the, life becomes about the kids, life becomes about the activities, life becomes about school, all these different things until you're just business partners, maybe sometimes in separate bedrooms, maybe sometimes in separate beds like Lucy and Ricky. Um, why did they do, it's, anyways, why did they do that? As a kid, I just thought that's what adults did because I watched I Love Lucy. Anyways, but this series is for any one of us who have gone through these areas of life in marriage. It's for single people. It's for people looking to be married, looking, people looking to be single the rest of their lives. It's for um, the newly married. It's for people who are hitting the five to seven year hump in their marriage and wondering if they're gonna make it. It's for the divorced is those um, hurting from sin in your marriage. Maybe it's past sin that happened before you guys were married, but hurting from that. It's those for, who are for um, empty nesters and maybe recently discovered that you're alone and you might not be friends anymore. It's for those of you who have a sexless marriage. It's for those of us who desperately want new marriages. That's what this series is about. We believe that God's word has some powerful things to say. We're going to cover marriage, sex, kids, and your questions. In fact, in the bulletin, each one of you should have this, and each week feel free to write whatever question you want and put it in the offering. And they could be totally anonymous, and we're going to spend some time at the end of the series on your questions. Not on what we have to say, um, but on what the Bible has to say. And if it's something that the Bible doesn't really address, we're going to address it from a biblical perspective, and from what is the wise thing to do. And so we're going to address that. It's a great time for you to just write those out, things you've always wondered what the Bible has to say. And so we're going to spend some time at the end of this series addressing all that. So please feel free to write your questions down. And before we dig way too deep into this today, the one thing I wanted to say is we're going to have resources available all throughout this series there's going to be tons of resources available. In fact, today I'm going to be talking, um, I'm going to end our message time today with um, talking about a worksheet called How to Reverse Engineer Your Marriage. And we've got that already available online that we want you to download. We've got a few available in the back. They're seven pages long, so we didn't want to print too many. Um, But that's something that might take you and your spouse a week to do. Or if you're thinking about getting married, it might take you and your fiance, you and your boyfriend or girlfriend a number of days to do. But it's How do you live intentionally rather than reactionally in your life? And so there's going to be those resources available. Um, I wanted to recommend a couple of books, all that. Those are all available online. So go to our website, and there's a little thing that says Just Married, and click on that, and it'll go to the resources. Also, um, I had two giveaways I wanted to do today. Um, We've got these books, The Five Love Languages. And if you're married... um, these books are just fantastic. They basically help you speak love to one another. So here's what I wanted to do. My Sunday school class is going through this, but we wanted to find out today who, um, who is the new, newest married couple here? Who's been married just a couple years? Matt Sparazza, one year, right? Anybody under one year? You're not married. Okay, hey, Mike, would you run this back to Matt Sparazza? There we go. One, one for him. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit you with that. And then who's been married the longest here? Maybe like 15 years. Anybody over 15 years? Anybody over 20 years? 25? 30? 35? 40? How many years has it been, Merwin and Hilda? 57. Can anybody beat that? Mike? Michael. Can you walk that back to them, too? Yes, so we want to hand that off to them, too. If you guys have already read the book or if you already have the book, feel free to hand it off to somebody else. Um, But it's a great resource to go through how to tell each other that you love each other. I don't know if you guys are like my wife and I, but I assume that you all are, so I'll tell you anyways. I'm going to let you guys into our lives a little bit because it's just what's most relevant to me. Um, I could clean our house. I could wash her cars. I can mow the lawn. I don't, but I could. <laughs> I, could I could bathe the kids, get them ready. I could, the house could be spick and span. And she could say, well, you never said that you love me. Because her love language is words of affirmation. And the way that I speak love is through acts of service. And so once we figured that out in our marriage, it has become totally different. We've had to figure out, I've had to intentionally say, okay, you need to say it or else she won't hear it. Because she does not hear my acts of service. She hears words of affirmation. And so that's what we're going through in my Sunday school class. Ernie and Nora, you guys are starting a class uh, shortly if you're interested in that, if you can't make a Sunday morning. And so we want to have resources available throughout this series. And um, there's just going to be stuff up online. So go ahead and check out our website there. Okay, got all that out of the way. Flip with me to Genesis chapter 2. Let's get into this today. Genesis chapter 2. And by the way, I'm going to be saying big words. Not big words that you'll need to look up. You'll know these words. But big words that might have a sexual connotation to them. At times throughout this series. And so if you're uncomfortable with your children hearing those, trust me, it won't be anything like PG 13, even. It'll be things that they hear even in school. I'm sorry that they do, but they do. Um, And I just want you to know that going into it. Genesis chapter 15, verses, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. This is the first picture of what a marriage looks like. It starts in the garden before the fall. Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each, leaving, each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But Adam, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So as we dig into this, one of the things I wanted to do today is give us a biblical picture of what marriage looks like. And then since we're all sinners in marriage and we're all sinners in life, what it really kind of looks like and how do we kind of navigate ourselves towards that? Because we're two broken people entering into marriage, right? I mean, we're not two perfect people trying to figure out how to live together. I mean, if that were the case, we wouldn't have marriage issues. But it's not the case. We are people because of the fall, because of our sinful nature, because we don't in- do things right the correct way, we don't follow God all the time, we have broken marriages. And so, this gives us the first picture, the very first glimpse of what it looked like in the garden. And it says I mean, the first picture of marriage that we have is that the two will become one flesh, that these two individuals will become one. Now, in marriage, we, we know, like we've, um, we've looked in, there's, there's, there's all these resources available now, scientific resources available, that we know that this actually happens, that the two actually bond. There's actually chemicals in your brain that go off called oxytocin, that at the um, height of pleasure, sexually, these chemicals go off in your brain and they're actually a bonding agent that make the two of you no longer feel like individuals, but one connected. Guys, it's why they want to cuddle. It's the best way. (laughs) Because they don't feel like individuals anymore. And this is why sex before marriage is dangerous, by the way. This is why there's danger to that, because when these chemicals go off because of human pleasure, I mean, this is something that God created. God created this binding agent in our brain so that this would happen between marriages, between couples, so that the two of them would actually become one, so that they would actually feel that way, to feel like, I know the answer to her every question. I know her intimately. I know her deeply. This is why God created us. This is how God created us. And, and he did this scientifically even so that now we could prove it by science. But back then, we just knew it was true. But now we could prove it by science. The two feel bonded and connected. So the idea is when you're married, you have sex. And when you're married, the idea is that um, although you are an individual, you come into it and you submit to one another. You submit your individuality to one another. And that's what like, this perfect idea of the two become one look like. It's not that you um, decide that you're going to do your own thing, and she decides you're going to do their own thing, and then you come together. I mean, that's like business partner type stuff. This is, um, in order to have a good marriage, you need to have good sex. It's just true. And I know some kids are probably in here screaming because they know their mom and dad are sitting right next to them. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> and parents, you're probably screaming too because you're like, I need to talk to my kids about this. Some kid just screamed. (laughs) It doesn't mean that you lose your identity, but it means that you gain another one in each other. It means that you gain that with each other. And it means that you change. I mean, in marriages, we talk about they're just not the same person. Well, no kidding. Both of you decided to live together. That completely changes you. You're supposed to change in marriage. I'm a different person than I was five years ago. I'm, I'm a far less selfish person. I'm still selfish, and I still try and work that out, but I'm a far less selfish person than I was five years ago when I first got married. But when you first get married, you learn this idea of submitting to one another. You submit your fears, your, your secrets, your everything to one another and so that you could both feel like one. When God joined the first couple, he said that, that the two shall become one. So what does this mean for you married couples? Just some practical advice. Go to bed at the same time. That's, that's difficult because it's been scientifically proven that men like to go to sleep later and women like to go to sleep earlier. It's really, if you pick out like 10,000 women and 10,000 men, that you would say 95% of these women like to go to bed at nine o'clock and 95% of these men like to go to bed at midnight. That's just the case. It's scientifically proven that way. And some of you are looking at each other and going, yep, but guys, That's what DVRs are for. If you go to bed, I like to watch TV too, but if you go to bed at the same time, you're more likely to continue the intimacy in your marriage by having sex. Yes, this is still church, by the way. And by the way, if for those of us who think that sex is not in the Bible, we couldn't be further from the truth. We're going to tackle this, in, in two weeks from now, we're going to tackle um, two weeks on sex, and it is all over the Bible. In fact, there's some stuff that I get bashful to say in uh, Song of Solomon that we're going to try and tackle, but it makes my face all red to talk about it. So the two become one flesh. Sex is the culmination of the two becoming one and then it says this line, which is the mo- most beautiful line, I think, in all of um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I mean, I know when I stand in the mirror, I see Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'm kidding. Obviously. <laughs> you don't see that when I'm preaching? <laughs> I, I'm get, judging by your laughing, I'm guessing you don't. The hardest part for people is sometimes is to be physically naked in front of your spouse and feel no shame of your body. But not only that, no shame of the secrets. I mean, naked is this idea of being open. Naked is this idea of being totally open and honest with each other about everything. Brutally honest. Not like, honey, I think you look fat in that. That's not what I'm saying, honesty-wise. Guys, that's just dumb. What I'm saying is honest about your past, honest about your feelings, honest about your fears, honest about where you think your relationship is headed, honest about what you want in the other person. How many times do our insecurities, do our shame, maybe shame from secret sins, shame from being abused, shame from previous lovers, how many times does that filter into our marriage where we cannot be totally open and honest with one another? But the Bible says that the very first marriage, Adam and Eve were both there and they were naked and they felt no shame. How do we get that into our marriages? How do we get to that place? I mean, this is not easy. But this is the biblical picture of what marriage looks like. One, the two become one. And already we see where that gets broken because the individuality of our lives, because the selfishness of what we want That breaks the oneness of marriage. Two, naked and feel no shame. How do we even get that? Because there's so much stuff. If I were just to share what I'm really thinking, or if I was just to share what really happened, or if I was just to say what I really did, she wouldn't love me anymore. But how do you get naked with your spouse and feel no shame? I'm not talking just physically naked. I'm saying bearing it all. The next biblical picture of marriage Song of Songs um, is a love picture. It's a love ballad, really. It's this beautiful poetry all through um, the, this idea of King Solomon writing about his, one of his wives, the one he most loved, apparently, because he had a lot of wives. Um, and he's writing about his wife. And, and in Song of Songs 5.16, and he repeats this over and over again, and, and this is all through Proverbs and things like that. He says, Um, This is the woman talking about her lover, and he says, His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my love. This is my lover. This is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem. Marriage is about being friends. The biblical picture of marriage is that you simply are Best friends together. You share it all with each other. Sure, you have other friends. Sure, guys, you have guys' nights and girls, you have girls' nights. Sure, absolutely. But the idea is that the strongest connection is between the two of you, that the best friends are between the two of you. When your kids see that, they're going to marry their best friend. When your kids see that, they're going to feel more secure about who they are, they're going to feel more loved. And so maybe some of us here simply need to work on our friendship with our spouse. One of the things that I wanted to say, and I always said this, being a youth pastor for seven years, we talked about sex probably more frequently than any other topic because it was what was on the kid's mind. It was the questions that they always asked. We talked about this all the time. And so one of the things that I learned um, is that sex too soon. One of the reasons why, the Bible doesn't necessarily come right out and say, like, if you read Proverbs chapter 5, it doesn't say, don't have sex before you're married. The Bible doesn't say that, but it's everywhere in the Bible, okay? It doesn't say it explicitly, but it's everywhere, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, why we wait to have sex until we're married. Why it's not just some God being cruel and wanting to, to, to keep us away from some kind of physical pleasure, but there's actual real reasons why. One of them is because you become united too soon. The other one, another idea here is this. Sex too soon stifles friendship. It does. What, ladies, here's what you really want. You're, uh, some guy is gonna tell you what you really want. It's true. Scientifically, uh, sociologically, you want intimacy in friendship, especially when you talk about high schoolers and, and junior hires and stuff like that. Women want intimacy in friendship; they want to know that they're loved. Guys are a lot simpler. Guys want sex. It's pretty much the way that the human minds work between men and women. And when you have sex too soon, ladies, when you compromise that and have sex too soon you will always almost always forfeit the intimacy and I use that talking to junior hires and high schoolers but it's just as relevant with adults because you don't take time to build the friendship marriages last for what is it 56 years Merlin 57 marriages have a difficult time lasting for 57 years if you're not going to be friends with each other they just do they have a difficult time lasting. And if you have sex too soon, then the idea is that's what your relationship becomes about. Not building intimacy. Building intimacy is those long talks. Building intimacy is holding hands. Guys, it's walking up to your wife when she's doing the dishes and helping her. Sex starts in the kitchen. Trust me. It does. That's... what. <laughs> What it is? Do not you will forfeit intimacy when you have sex too soon, and you will always be chasing after intimacy and trying to get there by way of sex. But you cannot get to intimacy without friendship first. Friendship is what good relationships are built on. Friendship is what makes relationships last. I love this this woman in Song of Songs. Verse 516 says, This is my lover, this is my friend. In other words, he's much more than just some guy that I am sleeping with. He's much more than just my husband. This is my best friend. So this is another biblical picture of marriage. So one, Biblical picture of marriage is that the two become one flesh, that they're bonded together. Two, that you're naked and you feel no shame so you could be open with each other. Three, that you're best friends. And four, your marriage points to something so much bigger than yourself. Marriage always points to something bigger. Biblically, marriage points to something bigger. When you begin to look at the theology and when you begin to unwrap it, it always points to something bigger. And I know that because we're sinners, because that we, um, because we're broken people, our marriages don't always look like these ideals. But I wanted to get out of the way the biblical ideas of what marriage looks like, so that we could dive into the real issues. So whenever. In the Bible, whenever Israel forsook God, whenever Israel stopped following God, there was usually um, this prophet that came over and said something about it. So in this case, we'll look at the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter two, verse two. These should all be on the screen, by the way, so you could just, I'm gonna go through these real quickly. God says to Jeremiah, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how a bride How has a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. And so this is God comparing Israel to his bride. Okay, And this isn't just in one spot in the Bible. I mean, I chose four or five verses, but this could just as easily turn into 200 verses and stuff like that. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. Look up to the barren heights and see, is there any place where you have not been ravished? Ravished here is talking about sexually. Is there any place where you've not been ravished? By the roadside, you sat waiting for, her lo- waiting for your lovers. You sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. And they're not talking about physical prostitution. They're talking about how Israel actually worshipped other gods, and God called that prostitution. Because the way God sees us is as his bride. That's one of the reasons why marriage language is so powerful because God sees us as his bride. And then it says, therefore the showers have been withheld. There are no springs, no springs and rains have fallen, yet you have a brazen look of a prostitute and you refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. Jeremiah chapter 3, 9, because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. So this is just in the book of Jeremiah, but if we were to look through all the biblical books, you would, you would see how whenever Israel committed a sin, God said called it adultery. God called, it, called them a prostitute. Because the idea here is that our marriages point to something bigger. Our lives point to something bigger than ourselves. Hosea, the entire book of Hosea is about this. Hosea 1 verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So what he says to Isaiah is, just as a symbol of what my people are doing to me, I want you to go marry a prostitute, a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you, a woman who's going to have sex for money. I want you to go marry that person just so that you could see, so that all of Israel can see a picture of what's happening to me. I mean, kind of crazy, Right? Like I said, we could do this all day. These verses are all over the place in the Old Testament, but the bottom line is the very concept of marriage points to something a lot bigger than just the two of you. We are seen as God's bride. We are seen as God's one love. That's the way that God sees us. And so, when we begin to do other, when we begin to worship other things, sometimes people worship sex, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Sometimes people um, worship money. Sometimes people begin to worship people. And the idea is God uses this sexual relationship as a metaphor of how much he loves us. Ephesians chapter 5 kind of sums this all up. And it's going to sum this up right now. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. So there's these rules, like not rules, but Paul, the, the apostle here, Paul is talking to husbands and wives and saying, submit to one another, love one another. Um, he's giving all this stuff. And then he eventually gets down to verses 31 and 32 and says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. He's saying this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what he's saying here is all this marriage language really is so that you will put the gospel on display in your marriage. So that husbands, you will show your wife what it looks like to be Jesus. You're going to show your wife what it looks like, what Jesus did for for humanity. You get to show your wife that. And wives, you get to be the picture of a great church that that submits, but not just like um, when we talk about submitting here, we're not talking about brutal forcefully. We're talking about equal submission, husband and wife, submitting to one another. But you're going to show, guys, you're going to show these ladies what it looks like to be Jesus in a marriage. So this is the biblical ideal of marriage. And there's some more things, but wrapped up, summed up. And these big four points, one, that God wants the two to become one. Two, that we're to be naked and feel no shame. Three, that we're to be more than just lovers, but to be best friends in marriage. And four, that our marriage always points to something bigger than ourselves. It points to the gospel. So I'm sure that we could probably stop the series right here. And most of us here today are good um, that's our marriage, and uh, check that off the list. We don't need to worry about this series anymore because clearly we're all there, right? We're best friends. There's no problems in our marriage. We don't fight, um, right? <laughs> Not even remotely. I'm sure that we're all even totally upfront and honest with our spouses, right? Marriages are plagued by selfishness. Most of the issues we face, most of the reasons for divorce is not necessarily, um, uh, what, what is it, irreconcilable differences. There should be a box that says selfishness. And if we were all super honest, we'd probably all check that box. Yeah, I was selfish in my marriage. But m- most marriages end because of, mer- of selfishness and we are unwilling to submit to one another. Um, I had to learn what submission was, when I first got married, and I've told this story a lot, especially when we had our second night, second um, evening service, but when I first got married, um, it, I had my car. I, we had an extra room in our house that was our office uh, that I used, and my bookshelf was there, and um, I had all my books there, a- and I had my own things. I had my own socks. I don't even have my own socks anymore, by the way. Guys, how many of you do not own your socks anymore? Like, you have socks that are yours, but you know they're not yours. Anybody else? Just, just me? I feel so alone. When I first got married, there was this process of submitting to each other that was painful. One, I found out that when I needed warm socks, so did my wife. And when I needed the low-cut socks for the summer, so did my wife. And I found out that that once you have kids, your car gets super messy all the time. And I like a clean car. I don't like breadcrumbs and stuff, but your, your car gets super messy all the time. And then I found out that when you have kids, you can't have an office in your house anymore. And then when I found out that you have kids, that the ideal that I had for cleanliness is completely different, and you just begin to go, if we just put these toys away, we're, we'll survive. You begin to submit to some things and you begin to let your own selfishness go. But that's what happens when you get married. It's this process of giving yourself over to your spouse. So, as we talk about today, the real marriage really looks like this biblical idea of marriage. So, today I want to say how do we get there? How do we get to this biblical ideal? And maybe some of us are never going to get there exactly, but we can begin to work that direction. One of the first things that I want to talk about today is out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. And this is a painful verse for a lot of people. Ephesians five eleven Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Let me read that again. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. All over the New Testament, we see confess your sins to one another. Confess it. Sometimes it is what happened in the past, before you were even married, that's causing this blockage of intimacy. Sometimes it's things that you're doing right now I'll tell you right now, guys, if you were looking at porn in your marriage, it is called adultery of the eyes. Jesus calls it adultery. And you can get up and walk out if you'd like to, but that's what the Bible talks about. Because whenever there's this heightened sense of pleasure, remember what we talked about before, the two becoming one, these endorphins are released in your brain called oxytocin that actually cause you to be bonded with something. And so, man, if you're looking at pornography, you're becoming bonded with that and actually sinning against your wife. Maybe it's not anything as drastic as that, but maybe it's it's just something like you've just not been honest, and you need to be honest with one another. This is breaking down intimacy in marriage. Maybe it's, it's nothing like that. Maybe it's just you're dishonest about some things. Or maybe you're just continually upset and you've never resolved these issues. You're just upset, 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 upset. And eventually you guys blow up, you guys kiss and make up, but then you, you never really resolve it. What, what the Bible is saying here is expose that stuff that hurts so much. You take out of the darkness what hurts so much. Because as you begin to take that out of the darkness, it's going to be painful. And let me tell you this right now, it's going to stink. You guys are going to hate this. You're going to hate it but you begin to take these things out and you begin to share with each other, this is what's been going on. This is what I've been feeling. This is what I've really been thinking. Let's talk about these issues. Then you guys will begin, you'll begin the process of growing in your marriage. Now, some of you have been there. Some of you have, been, have done that. And I would invite anybody who's been through that to talk with other people and to help them through that. But what Paul is saying here is so key to expose the deed of darkness. What's done in secret is felt at home. What's done in secret is felt at home. The things that we feel, the things that we say, the things that, that, that are going on in the background are totally felt in our marriages. You know when something's off. That's the idea about two becoming one. You're already one, and so you know when your other half is off. Sometimes it is previous abuse. The statistics say that one in five women are abused by the time they reach the age of 18, are reported abused. And we don't even know how much are non-reported. And it's not that, anybody, it's not that, that those women did anything wrong whatsoever, but they were sexually abused. But that needs to be exposed in a marriage so that the two of you can have healing in that. Deeds of darkness in our marriage tend to build resentment, they tend to build distance, they tend to build hurt. And eventually, if they're unconfessed, they lead to divorce. And we want to build a culture here of strong marriages. And so I would just absolutely ask each one of you if there's anything like that that you need to confess that you begin to do that to your wife. And and men, if it's you, you be gentle with your wives. And women, if it's you, don't flip out right away. No, because really, it's worthy, probably, of, being, of flipping out. But listen and ask questions and figure out how to resolve this together. There, I have seen um, and heard stories of marriages, people who should have never lasted but have gotten back together because they've begun to be honest with each other for the first time, and they began to do things like forgive each other. A lot of times we take the Bible and we read it and we go, okay, the gospel's great. Forgive each other, reconcile, um, love one another, great. And we apply it to our coworkers. We apply it to our family members, but we never necessarily apply that to our spouse. So when we put the gospel on display, it means apply that to your spouse. Ask, uh, Repent to your spouse, this is what I did. It was wrong. Would you forgive me of that? Help us. Help me do this. Here's another way to work on marriages. And um, this isn't in the Bible, but it's all through the Bible. It's one of those things, so I don't necessarily have biblical verses on this. But there are three T's. And I have a real hard time doing three T's. But anyways, I'm going to do three T's. Time, talk, touch. Married people, take time to be together. You don't even need to say much. Maybe it's watching TV. Maybe it's reading books together. But you're just physically present next to each other. Maybe you're holding hands. Just take time to be together. Two, talk together. Now, women, you say 20,000 words a day. You do. Men, you say 5,000 words a day. Ladies, please dumb it down for us. I'm asking you politely. If you love us at all, get to the point. I'm I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I can say that cuz my wife's not in here. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Men, please give better answers to how is your day was how how was your day today? Uh good. Give better answers than that. Take time. These are opportunities to talk to your spouse. I know it sounds super simple. Time, talk, touch. Oh yeah there's no problem but do we ever like do we take time out of the day and say have I talked to my wife today have I have I um spent time with her today and have I touched her today now guys your sex life will dramatically take notes take (laughs) write this down your sex life will dramatically improve a hundred times if you walk up to your wife mid midday and rub the small of her back I guarantee you, your life will dramatically because it starts for her way before the bedroom. Restoring intimacy into your marriage is key in making it last for a lifetime. So take time together. Talk with each other. Touch. The small of her back. Hold her hand in public. Put your hand on her thigh at dinner. Play footsie with your wife under the table. Restore intimacy. Guys, you need to take initiative here. A lot of men are not naturally touchy guys. They have a tendency to um, leave touching just for the bedroom. And that can be detrimental in relationships. Dating people. This goes the same for you, except for the opposite. One, don't spend too much time together. I'm serious. Um, a lot of times we, we think, oh, to get to know each other, you need to spend all the time in the world together. But sometimes when you do that, what happens is intimacy comes too fast. Two, don't talk too much. I'm serious. Take time to let things come out. Now, if when you're just starting dating something, you let something slip. It's a big, you let a big drum, bomb drop. What happens? Trust begins to die. Um, Paul Swanson was, said this phrase that, um, that he told me he didn't invent it. He heard it before, but I love it and I, I'm using it all the time now. So thanks, Paul. Is trust is gained in spoonfuls and lost in bucketfuls. And so because it's new and relationships are new and friendly, you have this tendency to want to just spill everything, but don't do it. And then touch. Keep your hands off. Build intimacy. Build intimacy until marriage And then you can flip those around. You spend all the time. You spend all the talk, and you spend all the touch time together. Now, the difficult part about this is the reality of marriage is that no one's spending time together, no one's talking, and no one's touching each other. That's the reality of most marriages. But I want to encourage you guys to do some homework this week. And the homework is if you're married, to spend time talking, to spend time together, and to spend time touching each other Pastor Dave said it, so you guys. Pastor Dave told me, and not in necessarily in a sexual way. Hold your wife's hand, guys. Put your arm around her. Things like that. So again, how do we get there? So we have this biblical picture of marriage, and now how do we get there? We have this stark reality. One, how do we get there? Confess your sins to one another. Confess life to another. Two, time, talk, touch together. And three, if our marriages are supposed to reflect the gospel, then we as people need to begin to reflect the gospel. So if we want to have marriages centered on the gospel, then guess what? We need to take time daily in reading scriptures. We need to take time praying. We need to take time fellowshipping. We need to take time discovering who God is whether that means you get into a Sunday school group or a small group, whether that means you pick up a Bible study at a Christian bookstore or something like that, or it means that you begin to dive into who God is. Because who God wants you to be is who God wants you to be for your spouse as well. And so, like we said in Ephesians chapter five, the whole notion of, of that the, your marriage actually puts on display what the gospel is supposed to look like. Well, what did Jesus teach? What is the gospel? Did Jesus teach us to forgive one another? Yep. Serve one another. Give to one another. Pray with and for one another. And a lot of times, like I said, we begin to apply the gospel to other things in lives rather than our own marriage. And so what I want to encourage us to do throughout this series is begin to apply the gospel to our marriages. Begin to apply that to one another when you reread the new testament in its entirety i i would challenge you if you do reread the new uh, testament i would challenge you to reread it with the idea of this is how i'm supposed to live towards my spouse it will absolutely change the way you read the bible so we're going to land this plane we've been on this plane for 10 pages of notes here So like I said, we're going to have multiple resources um, printed and available for download. And we'd like to encourage you to go on our website and, and begin to go through some of those resources. The one I want to bring to your attention today is a document that will take you probably a week to complete. It's called Reverse Engineering Your Life and Your Marriage. And the idea is that the most important day of your marriage is the last day of your marriage. It's the day where you're looking whether it's at a coffin or whether it's on a on a a bed and you're looking at this person that's the most important day of your marriage because how does it end does it end saying i wish we would have changed this thing i wish we would have resolved this issue i wish he didn't do that to me or i wish you would have loved me more i wish we would have done this or that that is a reactive way to live And we want to encourage each of you to live proactively, to live intentionally with your spouse. And so, like I said, this is a seven page document. It's thick, it's full of questions. And it's questions for you to answer and to begin to share with your wife. You guys answer them separately and then share them together. Whether you're five years in your marriage, whether you're 20 years in your marriage, whether you're 30 years in your marriage, I think this is a really important thing to do. Because then it helps you say, what are we going to do together? What are some of the things that we're going to do? What are some of our goals? And maybe you're here today and you know that there's brokenness and hurt and shame in your marriage and you've got something that you need to say to your spouse. I want to encourage you to do that. Not right here, right now, but I want to encourage you to go home and begin to do that. Maybe you're here today and you say, I know that my life needs to be centered on the gospel so that my marriage could be better. I want to encourage you today. Maybe some of you have never met Jesus personally. I want to encourage you right now. Maybe it's time. And it's, Scott's going to come back up, and the band is going to come and lead us in another song. But I just want to lead us in a, in a prayer right now. And maybe it's just this prayer to restore what is broken. But all through the Old Testament, we begin to see God wanting to restore what is broken, what the locusts have eaten, what the locusts have destroyed. At the end of Joel, God says, I will make new. Just like when you begin to follow Jesus, God says, I will make you a new creation. Maybe today, God wants to make your marriage brand new. and Maybe that's what you want to. So I want to pray, and maybe some of you want to receive Jesus right here, right where you're at. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Jesus. We see this biblical ideal of what a marriage is supposed to be in Scripture, and some of us see it and go, That is not even close to me. Jesus, we begin to see this, and Lord, we simply ask Would you speak into our marriages? Would you speak into our lives? God, would you radically change us? God, would some of us lean on you so much more than we ever had in the past? God, would you help us to understand how it is we're supposed to love our spouse? Father, I pray for those who are broken today who have something to confess to their spouse. Lord, would you allow that to happen with dignity and respect? God, would this be a moment that binds together, not tears apart? God, would you strengthen marriages and allow them to grow there's some of you here today who who know that in order for your marriage to come any better you just need to accept Jesus that you know that that Jesus brought us this gospel of a brand new life and we know that we cannot apply this to our marriages without living it ourselves so if that's you today I just want to invite you with every eye closed with every head bowed, I just want to invite you to raise your hand right where you're at, that maybe you need a brand new life in Christ. Jesus, we pray for those whose hearts are bowed towards you. God, who will submit to you as the king of the universe. Lord, who are offering their lives up. God, we thank you for what you did on the cross. You took our sin and you cleansed our lives. Lord, allow us to approach our spouses with a new humility, with your heart, and with your love. Jesus, give us a brand new marriage. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why you all stand? With me? can wash away our sins, what can make us whole again, nothing but your blood, nothing but your blood, oh.